Matthew 27, beginning at verse 32. And it says this. And they went out, and they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled him, this man, to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When, he had cruci- when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Then it was evening, There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said, while he, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead. 
and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. Let's just pray together, shall we, before we look at God's word together. Lord, in these moments, we do, just, we do just that. We come and we bow and we worship at your feet. We come and we join as a, a body of believers around this table. And we do not do this lightly. But we come humbly in awe of all that you have done for us in sending your Son. And now in these moments, as we consider this, as we open your word and we read your very words from the page... May we be humbled all the more uh, in awe of all that you have done and thankful, thankful for the mercy that you have shown on us. So help us now in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Turn with your, in your Bibles again to these verses that we read before. We will be considering this portion, no, no, they're not... Uh, Verse by verse, tonight we won't have time for that. But tonight we look at this uh, sixth part, this penultimate part in our series, uh, No Greater. And this, this uh, sermon tonight is called No Greater Mercy. No Greater Mercy. Tonight I want us just to consider two things. Two things. And the first thing is this. The mockery of the multitude. The mockery of the multitude. The objective of the people was to make a mockery of Jesus as the one who claims to be king. That was their objective. All that takes place in these next few hours is staged just for this. They clothed him, as we looked at last Sunday, in robes. They set a crown of thorns on his head. They bowed down in empty worship to ridicule him. They led him out to Golgotha, the place of the skull, as we read here, offering him wine, again mocking him as king, as though they would serve the king with wine. They crucified him there between two robbers, with nails in his hands and in his feet. Suspended on a, on a cross on a hill, outside of the city, visible for the multitudes uh, and for those who would pass by in that busy city, remembering that it was the Passover festival, where thousands, hundreds of thousands of people would have been in attendance In Jerusalem. And there he hung the Creator on a tree. In verse 37 of what we read just a moment ago, they put a charge above Jesus. And in verse 37, this is what it says And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The sign really set the scene for the whole mockery. As that sign would be above Jesus, 
that really was the setting of this great mockery. This is who he claimed to be. So we put it above him. And everything that happened in these moments was played around this idea. You see, the crimes of those who were crucified were posted on them, on that cross. So those who were beside Jesus also would have had their crime, uh, their charge, posted for all to see. But the problem was that in Pilate's eyes, he could not see any crime deserving of death. That's what we saw, didn't we, last week? He could not find, neither could Herod, a crime worthy of the place that now Jesus is hanging in. And in John 19, 20, 22, Pilate decides on putting Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. However, the chief priests, funny enough, they keep popping up, don't they, these chief priests? They told him to change it. He said, don't put that. Take that down and put this. And this is what they wanted. And this is what it said. This man said, I am the king of the Jews. That's what they wanted. But Pilate, in response to their request, says this. What I have written, I have written. What I have written, I have written. And we see something of the response uh, from Pilate and his, his knowing, really, truthfully, of who this man, Jesus, really was. The ridicule, the mocking, and the sarcasm continues. In verse 39, we see those that passed by and they derided him. Just imagine this for a moment. They went past and they wagged their heads at him, saying in verse 40, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. They said all of this in great sarcasm. And then unsurprisingly, the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him. They joined in the cries of the passers-by with the shouts of the crowd. And the mocking of the soldiers. And aiding them again. Just like they did when they were with the crowd. When they cried out for Barabbas instead of Jesus and they switched that Messiah for the murderer. The chief priests, the elders, they joined in. And in verse 42 to 43 we read what they said. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the two robbers reviled him in the same way. So we uh, see the gathering around the cross, mocking, sneering, hurling abuse at Jesus with sarcasm. Their aim is to treat the son of God with as much dishonor as humanly possible, pouring over him as much shame 
and disrespect as they can possibly muster. And all the while hangs the Son of God. Therefore, unknown to them, they blaspheme to the highest degree. They blaspheme to the highest degree. Blasphemy at its greatest, sin at its ultimate, blasphemy against the very Son of God. Nothing could offend God more than this. Remember back to last Sunday morning? What did they accuse Jesus of? Blasphemy. What was their judgment on him? Blasphemy. The judgment that apparently deserved death. Now those who gave this judgment have set judgment on themselves. How ironic. In these moments at the bottom of the cross. And in Leviticus 14 and 16 says this. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. It's clear. This is God's law. This is what he said will happen for anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord. Yet this great crowd. Hundreds of them standing at the bottom of the cross. Blaspheming, ridiculing. Hurling insults at Christ on the cross. And all the time, the reason they sent him there was because he blasphemed, yet they were the greatest of the blasphemers. So it would be right to think, wouldn't it, right now, that God could outpour his righteous and just wrath on those blasphemers. The crowd, the chief priests, the soldiers... That he could act now and strike them down. And all of this would be over. Christ would come down off the cross. He would not die and perish. All the blasphemers would be gone. Christ would be set free. Well his wrath was unleashed. His wrath was unleashed. But not on the blasphemers. But on the Son. On the son. On his own son. The so-called blasphemer. Who was nailed to the cross. Now bore the punishment. Which was due to the true blasphemers. You see the shock. In all of this for us. As we read these words. As those blasphemers stood below. The perfect lamb of God. Bore their sin. As they taunted and hurled insults at him. And now we see the second point. We see the mercy of the Messiah. The mercy of the Messiah. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour. Darkness covered the land. The sun gave up its shine. And it wasn't no eclipse or whatever they may say. These scientists and astrologists. It was a supernatural moment in history. The sun went dark. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cries out in verse 46. Let's read what it says. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders thought he was calling Elijah. But in these very moment, in this very moment, something very significant was happening. And this is very hard for us to imagine and comprehend in our minds. And this remains a mystery. A mystery of the Gospels. We will not know this fully in our minds until we reach glory. But somehow, in these moments, there was a separation from Father and Son. There was a separation of Father and Son as God poured out His full fury of His wrath on His Son for our sin the father could now no longer look upon his own son. God cursed the son on the tree and Jesus bore in those moments the full weight and fury of God's wrath for the sins of the entire world. Habakkuk 1 and 13 says these words, Your eyes are too pure to behold evil. And you cannot look on wrongdoing. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one that was sinless is now the sinner. So that the sinners, that's us, may know what it is to have the perfection and righteousness of God. This transaction is taking place. And being thirsty, that's what it tells us in these moments, which is a piece of evidence for his humanity at least. He asked for a drink. And sour wine, the Roman soldier's cheap drink, it was their cheap wine, was offered to him at this time, and he took it this time. He took it. Jesus then said three words. It is finished. Then with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit in verse 50. It would seem here that the yielding up of his spirit was in some way voluntarily giving up his life. Committing it to the Father. He offered himself to his Father and breathed his last. And the repercussions of this we see in in Matthew that we don't see elsewhere in this much detail. The curtain was torn in two, verse 51. No longer was there a separation between the holy place and the holy of holies. That place where the chief priest would have gone to meet with God, to dwell with God. He would have gone through this curtain and he would have dwelt there. That place where it was known that God dwelt. Well now, there was access to where God dwelt. And for us, this reality is true today for anyone who believes or comes to faith This is the truth. No longer was there a separation between man and God because the Son 
had endured the pain and suffering of that separation on our behalf. So now we have access to God. We have access to his throne in every moment of every day. Matthew tells us the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tomb was split. Can you imagine this moment? As the blasphemous crowd stood and watched, felt, heard all that uh, of this moment. Uh, and this happened immediately after this so-called king of the Jews breathed his last on the cross. But I want to finish with this thought as we come to the table together. Jesus spoke seven things from the cross. Jesus spoke seven things from the cross. Here they are. He spoke to one of the thieves who we who actually trusted in Jesus and was promised a place in paradise. Although we read here that he uh, scorned Christ on the cross, he did at some point come to Christ and Christ promised him a place. That's what Jesus said. Jesus also said uh, in John, as we read it in John, uh, that we see him speaking to his mother. His mother would have been at a distance. And he says, woman, behold your son. And turning to John, we know it to be John. He says, behold your mother. Jesus committing his mother to the care of John. Jesus cries out, as we have read. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In John he says, I thirst in fulfillment of a prophecy. Jesus also says in John, it is finished. And finally, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But do you know what the first thing that Jesus said on the cross was? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is astounding, isn't it? The first words were words that were seeking divine forgiveness for the world's most wretched sinners. Well, how does God answer the son's prayer? Well, it seems he answered it quickly. Verse 54. Verse 54 says this, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, definitely, this was the Son of God. 
Some of that crowd formed the first church. Some of that crowd formed the first church. Some of the soldiers affirmed the deity of Christ and a Roman centurion and others with him filled with awe and praising the Son. Even the robber on the cross comes to saving faith in Christ and is promised a place in paradise. But it doesn't stop there. Some of the leaders were saved too. Acts 6 and 7. I want to read this to you. Acts 6 and 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And a number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Can you believe it? The priests. Those who had been tracking him for weeks. Those who had given him a false accusation and charge. Those who had forced him to that cross and persuaded the crowd to swap him for Barabbas. The ones who crucified him there and scorned him. They were added to the church. What does this tell us? Well, as Jesus was bearing the curse of men, he was bearing much, the much greater curse of God. But while bearing both the curses of men and God, he was making atonement for sin. And the forgiveness he prayed for was then possible. There is no one too far gone. If they just turn and repent. If God can save these blasphemers. Then he can save anyone who comes. He can save us in our rebellion and our sin. Which he has done for us. If we know him here tonight. But to set us up for the final sermon in this series. Which will be on Sunday morning. I want to say this. Jesus. Well he was dead and hanging on a cross. Because of this, his legs weren't broken. They only broke the legs of those who who were still alive on the cross and speeding up their death. But Jesus' legs were not broken. His side was pierced instead and was taken down by Joseph of Arimathea and placed in a new tomb which was in the garden. And it was guarded from fear that the disciples would steal the body and seal it. And it was sealed and secured to stop that happening. And you know what? In this moment... In this moment, as this happens, as they take the dead Christ off of the cross and they think they have won. In these moments, the leaders think they have the victory. But unknown to them, they only had the weekend to enjoy it. They only had the weekend to enjoy it. His... Death, his burial was not going to hold him. His heel was bruised, but the serpent's head was about to be crushed.
and we come to this table. And we think of these moments as Jesus hung on the cross and we marvel at his mercy. Before we come to the table, we're going to sing a song. We're going to go straight into the table after this song. We're going to read these well-known verses uh, in Matthew. But let's sing together first as we do that. When I survey the wondrous cross. Maybe let's just uh, stay seated for this one in reflection of all that we've heard. Let's sing together. Lord, what a love. What a love you have for us. What mercy you've shown for us and towards us and what a cost that your son paid on that cross. Help us never to forget where he went for us, what he bore for us, so that we may be called sons and daughters, that we may have life and abundant life. And Lord, we may look forward to with great hope spending eternity with you, that sacrificed perfect Lamb of God. Lord, help us to remember these moments, to go from this evening and not forget Uh, all that you have done and the way we feel at this time and this devotion that we feel to you, we pray that that will continue through our lives and that we will be uh, sons and daughters who are dedicated, committed to you and to your work because of all that you have done for us. Lord, bless us now as we fellowship together, as we enjoy uh, tea and coffee and refreshments. Pray that you'll enrich and help us as we talk with one another. That as a family, we will grow together in your grace and in your love, we pray. So, Lord, thank you again.